0: If you enjoy studying the Bible but have grown frustrated looking for solid content you can trust, welcome to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study each day, five days a week. Every Monday, the team at Get Fed Today posts five hand-selected sermons from a vast catalog of reliable Bible teachers for you to enjoy on your commute to and from work, during your daily walk or run, or that hour you spend working out. Please note, Get Fed Today only posts content that is already available for free on the internet. Nothing about this ministry is monetized, and the few costs associated with hosting the podcast have been covered by a single benefactor. In fact, Get Fed Today is a volunteer ministry run by a team of Christ followers who love God's Word, enjoy good Bible teaching, and genuinely want to make it as easy as possible for their fellow brothers and sisters to get fed today. All you have to do is subscribe. For quick links to the podcast available on Apple, Google, and Spotify, simply visit getfedtoday.com. And again, that's getfedtoday.com. Beginning in verse 1, it says, Therefore, we
1: also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him, who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Will you pray with me tonight? Father, as we look at your word this evening, Lord, we ask that you would strengthen us, Lord, in our faith. Lord, that you would teach us what it is to run a good race and to finish strong in that race. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Within the scriptures, the Christian life is illustrated by a number of examples. In writing to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, the Apostle Paul likened the Christian life to a fight when he said, thus I fight not as one who beats the air. In writing to the Ephesians in chapter 6, Paul said that it was like a wrestling match. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Then, in writing to Timothy in his second epistle, he said the Christian life was depicted as a war. He said, You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. For no one who is engaged in warfare entangles himself in the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. But here in the 12th chapter of the book of Hebrews, the writer likens the Christian life to a race. And this race begins when you come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And it is not a 50-yard dash. It's not a sprint It's much more like a marathon. Some of the believers who were reading this letter had started out well in their spiritual race. But some of them had gotten tripped up by the religious practices and rituals going back under the old covenant once again. Some had become spectators in the race and still others had quit the race altogether And we're no longer running. Therefore, the writer is calling upon the believers to run their race with endurance. If the Hebrew believers and those, even of us here tonight, are going to finish strong, if we're going to finish well our race, there are some important things that we must consider. First of all, you have to understand that you're in a race. You have to realize that. This is the place to start. And the word for run in these verses is in the present tense, meaning it is an activity that we are to continually be doing, something we are pursuing as believers. When Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he asked them this question in chapter 9. He said, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Therefore, run in such a way that you may obtain it. In other words, he was asking these believers, don't you understand? Don't you understand that this life is a race and we're to run it in such a way that we would actually seek to win? There is a finish line at the end of this race. There is a reward that we're going to receive as we cross that finish line. Now it is important to realize that within this race, we're not competing against one another. I'm not running against you. You're not running against me. Each of us has our own race to run. A course that has been set before us. But if I'm going to run my course, I don't want to run simply to run. I want to run with intention. I want to run with purpose. I want to run to win this race that Jesus Christ put me into. I was trying to think back to the very first race I ever had. You remember, I think as early on when you're a little child, you start racing. You want to race everywhere. I'll race you here. I'll race you there. And I was trying to think back. When was the first race I ever had? As far as I could go back was kindergarten. Several years ago, I was in kindergarten. And I remember it was on. It was a church on a Thursday night. And they took all the kindergarteners out to a, a huge field. At least it looked huge to me as a kindergartner much like the field outside, and they lined us all up on one side, and I think they were, honestly, I think they were trying to tire the kids out, as Chuck used to teach, an hour plus, and so we're just, let's run these kids, let's run them, you know, let's give them some incentive, and and so we all lined up, and I remember it very vividly, and the rules were very specific, you need to run across the field, and you have to touch the fence, and when you touch, that's very critical, touch the fence, or you're going to be disqualified, and then run back, and so when I got into that race, I remember it. I, I was running. I wanted to win. I wanted to beat all of the other children. I didn't want to just run to run. I wanted to crush all of the kindergartners. I wanted to be number one. I don't know why. You just you understand if you're gonna run, you don't run to just, hey, we're running. You want to win. And you understand that from the very beginning. I was thinking later on, I ran another race when I was in junior high. Same same campus, same place. And this time they paired me with the fastest kid in the school. His name was Casey Jackson. I and mean, that sounds like a fast name. He was a short little white guy, but he was super fast, the fastest kid. And I got, I had to run with him and we were running for time. And we, and we, and he pushed me and I ran and I lost, but I was close to almost tying him maybe. But we ran and I wanted to win. I just didn't. True story. I, you think you stopped running? No, listen, later on in life, We had our our first child and there were some families. We had a young married group that would get together and we all had children, our first babies and there were dads. Interestingly enough, uh, this was my my son who's now married and his uh, wife, they were babies. They didn't know each other like they do now, but they they were babies and we were all pushing our kids into strollers and we were down by the beach and I said to all the dads, there's like five dads, we'd all hang out together and I said, hey guys, why don't we, I don't know why I said it. I said, why don't we why don't we race? You guys want to race? <laughs> I was a little bit younger than these other dads. Now I forgot all about this, but but my son's father-in-law told me. He goes, you remember that time 20 years ago when you wanted to when you wanted to race on the beach? I go, no. He said, I said, did I win? And he said, you did. You crushed us. I thought I was gonna. Anyhow, I'm not that fast anymore. What I'm telling you, if you understand, I, you get in the race, you run with the intention of winning. That's why you run. When you begin to run this race, you do wonder, am I going to finish? Am I going to be successful? Because there's certain days in the Christian race that are more difficult than others. And you wonder, am I going to finish this successfully? Some of you might have come in here tonight and you barely made it to church. And you're wondering, am I going to get through? There's things going on in your life right now or things that you're experiencing in your home right now. And you're wondering, Lord, I don't know if I can go another day. Listen, you're going to make it. God's going to enable you to make it. And here the writer gives us some encouragement, some inspiration if we're going to run. Look at what it says. He mentions a great cloud of witnesses. In verse 1 he says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... Now, when the writer uses the word therefore, he's reaching back to the previous chapter and he's gathering together all of the heroes that were listed there in verses 4 through 40. And we read about their faith and their race. And he writes how they ran and how they were able to finish. And the application is, if they made it, We're also going to make it. And when it says that there's this great cloud of witnesses that surrounds us, I do not believe that it is saying that Abraham and Moses and and David and Joseph and the rest of the Old Testament saints are sitting up on a cloud in heaven watching us run. I mean, if that's what heaven is, it really wouldn't be heaven watching us run our race. I think they are caught up with the glory of the Lord. But when it speaks of them surrounding us, it's not implying that they are spectators looking on, but instead the intent of the writer is that in view of the faith that is observed in the lives of those men and women who have faithfully run their race, they've gone before us, it should serve as a witness to us. The reader is exhorted to finish the race exercising a similar faith and endurance of those who have already run their race. And we're not only to be encouraged by the witness of those in Hebrews 11 who bear testimony that the race can be run successfully. But listen to this. We're also to emulate them. We're not just to admire them. Boy, they ran a good race. Moses, that was a a great race that you ran. Abraham, what a race. No, we are to emulate them. We're to follow in their footsteps. They are to be an inspiration to us. And when you read of those in Scripture who ran well or those in church history who finished strong or the biographies of great men and women who served the Lord, ran their race for Jesus, this should inspire us to do likewise. But not only does the writer point out that we have inspiration and encouragement through the example of others, but he also highlights that we're to run without Hindrance. Again, verse 1, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. In ancient times, even to the present time, when runners would train to run in a race, they would use weights during preparation for their events. They would put weights on their ankles, weights on their arms, weights on their back, and they will train with these weights. But when it comes time to actually enter into the arena and run the race, everything that could potentially slow them down is set aside. Recently, I watched a documentary on one of the fastest men in the world, and it went through his life. And his story of of how he started running. And then it looked at his training regiment. And it was intense. And he would run and, and he would have this... I remember one picture of his training regiment. He had a belt tied around him. And behind him was a sled with 45-pound weights on top of it, and he was running in the dead heat, just back and forth, running faster with weights than we would run without them, just training. But then when he they showed him going into the arena and he set the world record, there's no weight belt. All of that is set aside. He's, he's as light as he possibly can be because he wants to get the best time that he can. And he had to lay certain things aside. And the first thing that we're told that we're to lay aside in this race is the weights. And the word weight is actually the word encumbrance. It literally means a bulk or a mass. It's used to describe anything that would hinder or prevent someone from doing something. In general terms, it's anything and everything that hinders our spiritual progress. Now the question then becomes, What is to be considered a weight for the Christian? I believe that every Christian has to go before the Lord and ask that question. For what may be a weight for you may not be a weight for me. What may be a weight for me, that may not be a weight for you. And therefore, I have to go before the Lord. And I need to ask Him, Lord, is this a weight in my life? And listen, a weight doesn't necessarily have to be something bad. It could be something good that actually keeps you from the best. Something that slows you down, hinders your stride, a distraction. It, it is a it's something that diverts your attention. It saps your strength. It diminishes your enthusiasm and, and, and for the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. It just attaches itself to you. And those things can be, and I believe the Holy Spirit even searching hearts now is putting his finger on those very things. This needs to go. This is a distraction to you. You need to set this aside. This is a weight. This is holding you back. This is hindering you. You know, I've noticed even probably not here, but in, in another church where I pastor, there are some who are so distracted, so diverted by the political situation that's going on at the present time. And I'm not saying he shouldn't be aware of what's going on, or he shouldn't be uh, cognizant of what's taking place. But it's every point of conversation. And the reason is they wake up and they listen to it. They read, they watch it. Turn it on. Boom! Before you get to the Bible, what's going on? What's happened? What's the polls say? And then they get in their car and then they listen to some talk radio show about, about politics. And then they get to work and they sit there and they, they keep the updates on the computer all day long. Then they come home and they sit down after a long day and they watch it before they go to bed and they're so angry. They're so bummed out and they're distracted. And what, what is happening is it, out of the abundance of their heart, their mouth speaking and what's happening is they're looking at it all through the lens of, of some news show rather than through the lens of the scriptures. Listen, God's people, we need to look at what's going on in the world politically and globally through the lens of the word of God. Amen. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the apostle Paul said this, all things are lawful for me, but all things aren't helpful. He said, all things are lawful for me, but I don't want to be brought under the power of anything. Later on, he would write in that same book, this time the 10th chapter, all things are lawful for me, but listen, not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Paul didn't say, is this sin or is this not sin? Can I do this or can I not do this? How much can I do and not really be? No, what Paul said, in essence, if it holds me back, if it's not helpful, if it doesn't edify me, if it doesn't build me up, then it's gone. I'm just done with it. The race was too important to be encumbered by anything. And sometimes, you know, these weights can be small. They can seem insignificant. It's not a big deal. But what does the Bible say? The Bible says that it's a little leaven that can leaven the whole lump. It's the little foxes that can spoil an entire vine Jesus said in Mark's gospel, the fourth chapter, and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things can enter in and begin to choke out the work of the word of God so that never comes to maturity. These weights can drag you down and it holds you back from maturing in your walk with the Lord. Jesus said, but take heed to yourselves in Luke 21, lest your hearts be weighed down. Each of us, runners in the Christian race, need to go before the Lord and to ask him to reveal if there are weights that are hindering our stride. Lord, what what do you want me to set aside? What's holding me back? I think of the disciples. You remember when Jesus called them? He said, follow me. And the Bible tells us that they left their nets and they left their boats and they followed after Jesus. They set these things aside. When Matthew was called, he left the tax office. I mean, these are things that were set aside in order to follow Jesus. If they wouldn't have set these things aside, obviously it would have held them back from seeing all that they saw, everything that they experienced. I think of the blind man. When Jesus called him and he's about to heal him, it said he threw aside his beggar's garment. Why? I'm not going to need that anymore. I, I don't need a beggar's garment anymore. I'm about to be healed. I mean, this this laying aside of these weights. But not only are the weights to be laid aside, but the writer adds to lay aside, listen, the sin that so easily besets us. Sin will always hinder the race, even cripple the runner and ultimately try to take us out of the race altogether. Trying to run the Christian race While living in a lifestyle or a pursuit of or a practice of continual sin is like putting a 200 pound weights upon your body and then running in a hundred degree temperature in the middle of the desert without water. You're not going to go very far. You're, you're going to die under the weight of it. This sin, it says here, can easily ensnare us, or entangle us. The word is easily beset us. And it means readily or cleverly. And the verbal form of the rest of the word means to, listen to this, to place itself around, to encircle, to place itself around. How do you, how do you run in, in a direction if you are surrounded? Sin has the ability to barricade you in, to surround you so that you are completely immobilized. It's the sin so often that we hold in good standing, sin that we could easily justify, find excuses for, blame somebody else for it. And it's it's so easy for the sin to get a grip on us. It's in that moment of weakness that we go back to it or, or the flesh just kind of comes up and we, we go right back to it. Why? Maybe because we never laid it aside or we made provision for it. If there's ever a time, I mean, I know where I can get it if I need to get it. I'm not touching it, but it's there. And if something goes down, all right, I got I just, I can't. And it just ensnares you. How do you know? I think there's a good test. It's a sin that we can cling to. A sin that we get, listen, angry when it's rebuked. Oh, don't go there. Do not talk about that. You know, that kind of a thing. That probably, this is a righteous congregation, but some people really struggle with these things. A sin that we're, listen to this, quickly, we can quickly defend I'll defend it. A sin that we're unwilling to part with. These things can not only trip us, trip us up, but listen to this. They can actually disqualify us from the race. Did you know that? Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he said, I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself might become Disqualified. Paul said, I I buffet my body, I discipline it in such a way because I don't want to be disqualified. Now listen, disqualified doesn't mean lose salvation, but it means lose opportunities. There are certain opportunities that will be missed if we allow sin to cling to us. We don't repent of it. We don't make a break from it and turn from it. We'll get disqualified in the race. What are those sins that can so easily beset us? Again, each of us need to individually go before the Lord and ask Him, but here's a couple of things. How about an unsanctified temper? Oh, that's just my Latin blood boiling. That's what that is. That's my Irish roots. No, that's your flesh. That's sin. Unsanctified temper. No, that's righteous indignation. Um, I don't know. I, I think that might have been the flesh. How about an impure and defiled imagination? A proud heart, a vain mind, a taste for worldly company, surrounding yourself all the time with non-believers, and you're not leading them to Christ, but they're leading you away from Christ. How about envy, jealousy, the love of money, the tendency to exaggerate in your speech, which is lying. A fondness for pleasure. You're just in constant motion. It's always, you gotta be doing something from one event to the next. The attitude of criticism, backbiting. All of us have been guilty of these things and they are easily able to beset us. Setting these things aside is so important and it requires the power of the Holy Spirit within our lives. Jesus tells us to deal drastically with sin. You remember in in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It's more profitable than one of your members perish and for your whole body to be cast into hell. He said, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, cast it from you. It's more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. In other words, Jesus wasn't saying, literally take out your eyes and literally cut off your hands. He's saying, I want you to deal with it drastically because if you don't deal with it drastically, it'll come back and deal with you. The wages of sin... Is always death. But listen, the great news tonight is that we can lay it aside. It can be laid aside, not through your own strength, not through the program that you attend. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, to be baptized with the power of the Holy Spirit, to be able to lay those things aside that have got such a grip on your heart, you think, I'll never be able to get out of this. And I've tried it before, and I I did this, or I went forward there, and this didn't happen. And you tried in your own strength. But there is a strength that is available. Be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. He can help you and do in you what you cannot do in and of yourself if you will surrender to Him and say, God, that's it. I want to run the race. I'm tired of being crippled in the race. I'm tired of not being able to make any strides because I'm bound in this. My mind is polluted because of this. My heart is corrupt because of this. I keep going back to this. God, would you break these chains? God, would you do this work? Guys, the great news is he can. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in us and will give life to our mortal bodies, the Bible says. That's power enough to overcome. I think there is another entanglement that I find just in serving the Lord that I find people are ensnared by. And that is this, their past. Their past. Everybody has one. The Apostle Paul had one. He wasn't proud of it. He said, I was formerly a blasphemer. I was an insolent man. He wasn't proud of, of the life that he had lived before. But in Philippians 3, Talking again about running a race, he said, and you are familiar with the passage, he said, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, I'm forgetting those things which are behind and I'm reaching forward to those things which are ahead and I press toward the goal for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You can't change what's happened in the past. Jesus died for your past, but you can do something about the present And God's going to take care of the future. Listen, the only person that really wants to condemn you over your past is the devil. He's historical. He'll always bring it up. Oh, you remember what you were, oh, this was, you remember? (laughs) Yeah, I totally remember. I hate remembering that. Why is it that, that I can remember the things I want to forget and I forget the things I really want to remember? But listen carefully. When the devil reminds you, And condemns you concerning your past when he reminds you of your past, you remind him of his future. (laughs) Maybe you find yourself ensnared, entangled, encumbered by some besetting sin, and you want to be free from it. What do you do? You turn to the Lord. You turn to the Lord and you repent of it, and He'll give you the power to lay it aside. So we're in a race. We're encouraged by the example of others to run this race. We are to lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us. And then he tells us we must run with endurance. In verse 1, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The word for endurance is another word for patience. It means to remain steadfast. It portrays the picture of one who is bearing up under a a heavy load and describes that quality of character, which does not allow one to surrender to the circumstances or to succumb underneath the trial. Let's face it. For most of us, patience is not something that comes naturally. And I just want to, I'm sure you know this, but in case you forgot, can I just share this with you the person that says, hey, whatever you do, don't pray for patience, because God's going to send you a trial. So, Okay, just do yourself a favor. As you develop a prayer life, do not pray for patience. Can I just tell you, you're going to get a trial anyway. That's just the life that we live, and God's going to work that into your life and mine. Patience doesn't come by, you know, patient dust. Just sprinkle it on me. Okay, I'm patient now. No, you're not. Neither am I. Listen, it's got to be a work of the Spirit. And the Bible says, let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing, James tells us in James chapter 1. These these Jewish believers who were receiving this letter, they were getting tired. They wanted to give up. But the writer is encouraging them, you can't do that. You have to keep running. And depending upon what or rather who they focused. on, their attention on during their race would determine how they finished. They're to run without hindrance. They're to run with endurance. They're to have patience. But then we come to verse 2, and they're to run with focus. As he says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God as we run this race we are to remain focused upon Jesus Jesus is the author thus he has put us into the race and he will get us to the finish line he is the finisher of my faith but i realize as i run i have to keep my eyes on jesus And there are so many things that are seeking to distract me from keeping my eyes on Jesus. And I have to keep looking unto him. To to look to Jesus means to turn my eyes away from other things and to fix them on something else, to fix them on the Lord. It means to turn one's mind to a certain thing. Listen, the minute that a Greek runner came into the stadium and began to run his race and he took his eyes off of the lane that he was in or off the goal that he had and he started looking at the person next to him or looking behind him was the moment that he would lose his stride and he would lose the race. And the same is true for. Us. The minute we take our eyes off Jesus, the minute that we begin to turn and look at other things, we can slow down. We can begin to sink. Do you remember what happened to Peter? Peter was out there in the middle of the ocean with the rest of the disciples in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus was sending them to the other side, and a storm came. And while they were rowing and and fighting to get to the other side, it says that Jesus came walking to them on the water. And as he came walking to them on the water, He said, it is I, do not be afraid. They thought he was a ghost, the Bible says. And then suddenly, I don't know why this is, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Peter personally, what made you say, if it's you, bid me to come out on the water and walk to you. Why? Why did you say that? I don't, I have no idea. But he waited and Jesus said, it is I. And it says that Peter got out of the boat and began to walk toward Jesus. I really, what were the other disciples thinking? Peter, you are crazy. Get back in here. What are you doing? He's like, I'm walking. And he's walking on the water to Jesus. Jesus. And then you know what happens. He looks around. He sees the wind and the waves. Takes his eyes off Jesus. And and he begins to sink. He prays the quickest prayer you could ever pray. Lord, save me. And Jesus just reaches down and lifts up that burly fisherman into the boat. And he said, oh, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? I don't think Jesus said, Peter, you are such a loser. We could have walked all the way back to shore. You took your eyes off me. You know, He was so upset. No, I think Jesus was smiling, hair dripping, beard soaking wet. Do you know what you just did, Peter? You just walked on water. No one has ever done that before except me. And you just did it. So many people want to say Peter sank. He took his eyes off Jesus. He did. But he also walked on water. Don't forget that. What what I want to say is we have to keep our eyes on Jesus. You, You might be in the midst of the storm tonight. And the winds are howling over here. You're a single parent here tonight. And you're trying to raise your kid in the Lord. You brought him to church tonight. And your ex is like a howling wind over here, just barking all kinds of things. And you just wait. And you're, you're fighting. And you've got to keep your eyes on the Lord. For those of you, you got a prodigal son. you got a prodigal daughter. They're not here tonight. You're, your heart's broken. You're concerned about them. And, and you hear things from people that know them. And I saw them over here. I, I saw them on the street over here. And, and your heart is breaking. And what do you do? You, you have to keep your eyes on Jesus. I've got to keep my eyes on Jesus. I've got to keep looking at him. You remember when Peter, at the very end of his life, there in John 21, as Jesus had publicly restored him to the ministry. He started telling Peter about what was going to happen at the end of his race. He said, Peter, there's coming a time when they're going to take you by the hand and lead you where you don't want to go. They're going to stretch out your arms. He was telling Peter, by the way, at the end of your race, you're going to be crucified. You're going you're to be put to death. And we know, church history tells us that Peter was crucified, but he chose to be crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy to be crucified by the Lord. But the Lord tells him, "This is how, hey, Peter, this is how your race is going to end. You're going to be crucified. And what did Peter do? Immediately, he looked at John and he said, what about this man? How's he going to finish? I'm going to be crucified. What's going to happen to him? And you remember what Jesus said? He said, what is that to you? You follow me. Guys, listen, what what is that to me? What is that to you tonight? You got to follow Jesus. I've got to follow Jesus looking unto him. Jesus said, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom. Why did Jesus run his race? It tells us here, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross and despised the shame. What was the joy that was set before Jesus that he would endure such hostility from sinners, being beaten beyond recognition of a man, being crucified? What what was the joy? I think for one thing, the joy was to be the restored glory that he would have with his Father once again. You remember Jesus prayed in John 17. He said, and now, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. The joy of being restored to that place with the Father once again. I think the joy of knowing that Mankind could be saved. Listen, the joy that kept Jesus running his race was the joy of one day seeing you in heaven. That was the joy. You you were the joy. I, I was the joy? Yes. And so were you. The joy that was set before him. The joy that was set before Jesus was, the, was principally the joy of saving us from eternal separation from God in a real place called hell. That was the joy. I'm going to save humanity through my death it, and, and through the fulfillment of God's will. Being able to, to be made perfect through suffering and all that he endured for the sake that we might be saved. Him being forsaken so that we would never have to be forsaken. Him being wounded so that we could be healed. Him being separated so that we could be united with the Father. Listen, the race that Jesus ran, certainly he ran for the Father, but he ran his race for us. And he secured the victory so that we could share in it with him forever. But don't think for a moment that his race was easy. It says here, he endured it. It's the same word that's used when the writer is exhorting them. They have to endure this patience, this endurance. It's the same thing that Jesus had to go through. He endured the cross, but he despised the shame. And these Hebrew believers who were struggling and and, and really going through it, they had to run with endurance just like Jesus had to endure the cross. Jesus despised the shame, and here was Jesus, the spotless and perfect Lamb of God. And for the first time, think about this: for the first time, Jesus feels the effects of sin, and not just—it's the sin of the whole world being placed upon him as he dies a vicarious death, a substitutionary death for us. Sinless, spotless, perfect Lamb of God. Never a bad thought. Never a, a coarse word. Never a never a sin. And yet in that moment that he dies for us, all of the sin of the whole world placed upon his shoulders, placed upon him. I don't fully understand it. I think heaven will reveal it. What was it like for him to go through that? And he endured. Even though he despised the shame. And he finished and he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. As these readers looked to Jesus, the writer takes it a step further and he says, I want you to consider Jesus. He says, For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not resisted under bloodshed, striving against sin. The word consider here means to think, to reckon, to reason with thoroughness and completeness and so to think out carefully and reason thoroughly and consider what Jesus endured. And it's actually a command. It's a command to give our utmost attention and it's, it's, it's a command to do it now. If you're weary, if you're discouraged, what are you supposed to do? He says, consider Jesus. Think about him. Think about what he endured. And when I look at Jesus and I consider Jesus and I remember what he endured and what he went through, it really puts things into perspective for me. Jesus endured more than I will ever have to endure. And I have a high priest tonight who can sympathize with my weaknesses because he was in all points tempted as I am, yet without sin. And he knows how to help me. He knows how to help you get through the race. When you can't run anymore, he has the ability to pick you up. And and even at times you know it personally, he's carried you. He's carried me. said, concerning the nation of Israel, I bore you up on eagle's wings. When you couldn't go any further, when you couldn't run anymore, I carried you until you could run again. And if Jesus ran his race for me, I I want to run my race for him. If he ran his race for us, we should run our race for him. If the joy of finishing his race was, was seeing me there, then the joy of finishing my race should be seeing him face to face. And when I find myself tired or discouraged, I need to consider Jesus. Get my eyes back on Jesus. It reminds me of the psalmist. You remember in Psalm 42? Now if you if you if you're discouraged tonight, read through the Psalms. Just all of them tonight before you go to bed. Just go home. No, but read through the Psalms. And you look at David and some of the Psalms that he wrote and how he would, it's like he goes down into the bottom. I mean, he is down as low as you could possibly go. And then, I mean, I want to die, he says. I mean, if David was sitting in front of a professional counselor, he would have been committed. I mean, this guy is, this guy is, he's, we need to strap him down. I mean, this hes I want to die. I want to end my, and then he would come out of it and he'd, and he'd get his eyes back on the Lord and be praising God. But you remember in Psalm 42, it's like he, he talks to himself. You, you talk to yourself. I know you do. You, we all do. He talks to himself and he asks himself the question, why? Why are you cast down, O my soul? Just ask himself a question. What, what's your problem, self, soul? What's, what's your problem? And then he answers the question, gives himself an exhortation, hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him. Lord, why, why am I cast down tonight? My sins are forgiven. I'm clothed in the righteousness of Christ. I'm gonna be with You for all of eternity. This life is temporary. What's my problem? Hope in God, hope in God. Finally, I think it's important to realize that there is a reward at the end of this race. There's a reward. In fact, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 9, as Paul, we read it earlier, we're running to receive a prize. And then he says, everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now listen to this. This is 1 Corinthians 9. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight not as one who beats the air. He, he looks at the runners in the Isthmian and the Olympic Games. And he said, they, they run, they train, they do all of these things so that they can get a crown that's perishable. And if you some of the the crowns that they would get were like these, it was like a like a wreath on your head, like a plant on your head. That's what you trained all that time and, and disciplined yourself. Look at that perishable crown. I mean, if you want to keep this crown, you got to water it every day. And did you water my crown? I told you to water it. It's, it's, it's falling apart. It's, it's, it's perishable. He's saying, but as Christians, what are we we're, we're laboring for something that's imperishable? I think there's five crowns that are mentioned in the Bible crowns that we're going to receive and and there's one Peter talks about the shepherd's crown the pastor's crown I really I really want that one (laughs) just for faithful shepherds you get a shepherd's crown what is what is that I don't know I just want one but I'll tell you this in heaven I don't think anybody's walking around going how many how many crowns you get oh you just got one yeah I got five you know I don't think anybody's you know thinking that. Nobody's nobody's strutting in heaven. You know, check out my crowns. No, nobody's doing that. You say, well, why, why, do you want a, what, what, why do you want a crown? This is amazing to me. Jesus puts us in the race. He gives us the strength to run the race, gives us the spirit to empower us to finish the race, and then he rewards us for the race that he empowered us to run. Why, why do I want a crown? I'll tell you why. I could never do anything to be worthy of what Jesus has done for me. Never. There is nothing that I could ever do to pay back the debt that I owe to my Savior for what he has done for me. There's only one thing that I can do. I have a life. I have a life that I can live consecrated to him. And if by his grace... He gives me a crown. Why do I want it? You know why? Because the Bible says in heaven, everybody throws them at his feet and worships him. Don't you want something to throw at the feet of Jesus and say, Lord, I could never pay you back, but I throw this at your feet. Worthy is the lamb. That's why you want it, man. I want to be able to just say, Lord, it's yours. You gave me the ability to receive it, to run it, the endurance to get through, the days when I couldn't make it, you carried me. This is your crown. I throw it back at you. I throw it at your feet with everybody else, with all the angels and all the elders and we just worship God for eternity. I want something to give back to the Lord. We want to run to win. We want to finish this race with joy and the ministry of, which we receive from the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. As we conclude tonight, maybe there's some of you who have uh, fallen in the race. You've fallen. You've fallen and you can't get up. You know, you're sitting there, you're on the ground, you've fallen, you've been tripped up. What are you supposed to do? Are you supposed to just stay there? No. You're supposed to take the nail pierced hand of Jesus and get up and get back in the race. Some of you just flat out fallen out of the race. You just you're just not you just you fallen and you just don't think you can do it anymore. Listen, take the hand of Christ tonight and get back up in the race. You're not done. There's more race to run. There's more that God has for you. Do not be condemned because of what you've been involved with. Repent of it and and begin to run the race again. For others of you, maybe you're just tired in the race. You're just weary. You're, You're still running, but you're just weary. And the Lord wants to, through his spirit, just give you fresh power tonight. You know, more than once it says that the, the apostles were baptized with the Spirit, then it says they were filled with the Spirit, and then they were filled with the Spirit, and they prayed, and they were filled with the Spirit. And maybe that's what you need, just a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. You've fallen in the race, or maybe you just need to be freshly filled with the power of the Holy Spirit to keep running. And tonight, I want to pray for you. In a moment, I'm going to have Rob and the team come back up and lead us in worship. And And I realize... But there's nothing magic about coming forward. But for some people, they need a point of contact with their faith. And sometimes, getting up and coming forward is is almost a public demonstration to themselves and to the body of Christ. I I, I need to I want to I want to get back in the race, or I'm weary in the race. And I want to give you that opportunity tonight. And as you get up here, I'm just going to pray for you. Just just, we're going to pray together. And so would you pray with me right now? Let's, Let's pray together. Father, we just come to you now. And we thank you that you are the author and the finisher of our faith. That you put us into this race. And you promised that you're going to get us to the end. And you're going to present us faultless before your throne. But Lord, I lift up my brothers, my sisters tonight. Who are in this place. Some of them maybe they they have fallen in the race and they're saying, Lord, I want to, I want to get back where I need to be. For others, Lord, they're just weary. And they need just a fresh filling of the Spirit tonight. So Lord, we ask that you would move. We pray that you would minister to the needs. Lord, that you would do what only you can do, Lord. Jesus'
0: name. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor John Randall. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor John's teaching ministry by visiting a dailywalk.org.